So we're in uh, Luke chapter 9, and, and if you're one of those people that you need some advance notice of where we're going to turn, you might want to put a thumb in Mark chapter 9. We're going to be going back and forth between the two a little bit this morning. But Luke chapter 9, starting in verse 37, and uh, it says the next day. And now, immediately, right, this is connected. It's connected to what we studied last week, which was what we con- was, was connected to what we had studied the week before when Pastor Allen taught. And so, uh, you remember, this all goes back to Peter's confession of Christ. Jesus is asking the disciples, who do they say I am? Who do the crowds say that I am? And, and they're like, well, some say you're John the Baptist. Some say that, that you're Elijah. Some say that you're a prophet of old. I'm like, we, you know, that, that's who they say. And, and Jesus says, yeah, but who do you say I am? And Peter burst out, you know, being Peter. He's always the first one to jump out. He's like, ah, I say that you're, you're the Christ, son of the living God. And uh, our parallel translations in, in Mark and Matthew, they tell us that Jesus uh, says, blessed are you, Peter, because this wasn't revealed to you by, by uh, man, it was revealed to you by my Father who's in heaven. And then Jesus goes on to explain what that means, that he's the Christ, right? He goes on to say, that means, by the way, uh, the fact that I'm the Messiah, that I'm the one that the Old Testament points to, that I'm the answer, that I'm God's plan. That means that I've got to go die. See, this is part of God's good plan. I'm going to have to go die, and, and, uh, and they're, they're going to they're hand me over. I'm going to be killed. I'm going to be buried and on the third day. I'm going to raise back to life. And, uh, and, and that's kind of where, where Jesus leaves things. And then it says eight days later, he goes up on a mountain to pray with Peter, James, and John. Remember in, in, in that confession of Christ, the tale, and he says, oh, by the way, um, not only if, if I am the Christ, that means you're going to have to follow me. It's going to cost you something. You're going to have to carry your cross. You're going to have to deny yourself daily. And he says, some of you are going to, but it's going to be worth it. Some of you are going to get a glimpse of glory before you die. And then he takes Peter, James, and John, the sum, up on a mountain to pray where they see him revealed in all of his glory, they get a glimpse of heaven. And Moses is there, and Elijah is there, and they're talking with Jesus about his upcoming departure because they now have a knowledge that they didn't have before. Right? So one day we're going to know the plans of God better. One day. And, and so they're there, they're talking about his upcoming departure, and, uh, and then they come down off the mountain. And that's where we find ourselves. So the next day, the day after they've come down off the mountain. When they came down from a mountain, a large crowd met him. A man in the crowd called out, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son, for he is my only child. There goes Luke again, only child. We've now met three only uh, parents with only children that are sick, right? Uh, one was dead. Uh, it says, A spirit seizes him, and he suddenly screams, and it throws him into convulsions. So that he foams at the mouth. It scarcely ever leaves him. And it is, it is destroying him. I begged your disciples to drive it out. But they could not. Oh unbelieving and perverse generation. Jesus replied. How long shall I stay with you. And put up with you. Bring your son here. Even while the boy was coming. The demon threw him to the ground. In a convulsion. But Jesus rebuked the evil spirit healed the boy, and gave him back to his father. And they were all amazed at the greatness of God. While everyone was marveling at all that Jesus did, he said to his disciples, Listen carefully to what I am about to tell you. The Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of men. But they didn't understand what this meant. It was hidden from them so that they did not grasp it. And they were afraid to ask him about it. Strange text. Ah. 
There's three things I want you to see in this text I think are really important, even though, you know, you read it at face value and go, what, what, what's there for me? What, what is that about? Three, three things that I think we're reminded of that are really important for our lives. And, and, and the first is this, and it has to do with verse 41, okay? Verse 41, Jesus says this. He says, oh, unbelieving and perverse generation, how long shall I stay with you and, and put up with you? Bring your son here. That seems kind of strange for Jesus, doesn't it? Jesus, who is the epitome of patience. Jesus, who, who is, is the epitome of mercy and grace. Why, why is Jesus saying, how long should I put up with you? That seems out of place, out of character, doesn't it? But it reveals to us this great truth about God. And here's the first thing I want you to understand. that There will be a day when God's patience ends. And when he will no longer put up with man's rebellion and rejection of Jesus. That's what this is foreshadowing. It's foreshadowing the fact that there is a day that is coming that all men are going to have to face judgment, right? That all men are going to have to face judgment. Now, to understand exactly what's going on here, we need to do a little bit of digging because this is a strange text. Luke is the one that usually adds details to other people's accounts, right? I mean, that's, that's what he does. He takes somebody else's account. He's done all the great study. He wants to prove to Theophilus that Jesus, without a doubt, is indeed the Messiah, that he can be certain of it. And so, so usually he's adding details. But in this case, you read through it and you go, man, this seems like there should be more here, Luke. What's going on? And so, so what we're going to do is we're going to turn to Mark chapter 9. We're going to read a parallel account to see if there is indeed more to the story. And what you're going to find that there is. Now, here's the deal. This is the challenge when you study the Bible. Ready? We are not going to take the lessons from Mark and make those our lessons for Luke. Because Luke and Mark were both inspired by the Holy Spirit to write what they wrote. So there is a reason that Luke is writing what he is writing to Theophilus. And there's a reason that Mark wrote what he wrote. Instead, what we're going to do, instead of preaching Mark in, in, in the place of Luke, we're still going to preach our text. We're going we're to learn from our text. But we're going to use Mark to understand why Luke is leaving certain things out. Does that make sense? Okay, so turn with me to Mark chapter 9 uh, real quick, and, uh, and let's read there. Mark chapter 9, we're going to start in verse 14. Same story, same account. Still coming down from the mountain. Mark chapter 9, starting verse 14. When they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them, and the teachers of the law arguing with them. The teachers of the law Uh, being the Pharisees. So the Pharisees are present, and they're arguing uh, with the disciples, and there is a large crowd, there's an audience. As soon as the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder, and they ran to greet him. What are you arguing with them about, he asked. Who are they arguing with? The Pharisees, right? What are you arguing with those guys about? What are you arguing with them about? It says, a man in the crowd answers, uh, Teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth. He gnashes his teeth and he becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. There's the context, right? Oh, unbelieving generation, Jesus replied, How long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought, uh, so they brought him. When the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground. He rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It has often thrown him into fire or water to kill him. But 
If you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. I love this verse 23. If you can, Jesus said. Do you know who you're talking to? If, If you can, everything is possible for him who believes. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. When Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the evil spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that the man said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet and he stood up. After Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? And he replied, this kind can only come out by prayer. They uh, left that place and... uh, and pass through Galilee. Now, uh, so Mark fills in some details that, that Luke's uh, leave, leaves out. So now back to our text. This is the verse we're dealing with, verse 41. I think it's up on the screen. So you unbelieving and perverse generation, Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you and put up with you? Bring your son here. So now who is that comment directed to? For us to glean anything, for, the very first thing we have to figure out is who is Jesus talking to, right? Now, some scholars say he's talking to the disciples. You, you unbelieving and perverse generation, which seems kind of weird because wouldn't he just say you unbelieving and perverse people or disciples or, you know, followers? I mean, Jesus is usually pretty blunt. He's not going to like, so this is a really big statement to just be aimed at his disciples. Now, when we go back and we study Mark, we figure out what's going on, right? There's a crowd here. Which would seem to make sense that you would use something like generation when there's a large group of people. So there's a large group of people and they're in a frenzy because a circus is going on. And that circus is being led by the Pharisees, right? And and, and so there's also a big clue. And the Pharisees have basically stirred up this great commotion. And they're pointing to the fact that Jesus' disciples can't drive out this demon. They've made a big deal of it. Because they're always trying to disprove Jesus, right? And ruin his ministry. And, and so they've got a whole crowd stirred up against the disciples going, ha ha, you can't do it. He must not be who he says he is. Look at this. These guys that were doing all that great ministry and they were driving out demons, they can't do it anymore. Okay, see, Jesus is probably not really who he said he was. Ha ha ha. It's at a fever pitch. And Jesus comes into this and he speaks to you perverse generation. So who's he talking to? Who's he talking to? Well, I believe he's talking to the people that caused the problem. I think he's talking to the Pharisees. I think he's talking to the teachers. I think he's talking to um, the, the law. And so, so, so the cool thing about Jesus, by the way, is there's a genuine need and he meets the need, right? In the midst of it, I mean, he actually heals the son and returns him to the father, which is awesome because Jesus cares about us. It's really important. But in the midst of doing that, he also rebukes the Pharisees. And maybe you missed the rebuke, but it's in verse 41. So how how do you know he's rebuking the Pharisees? Because he does something which is really important. He actually quotes uh, Moses. He's going to quote a book of, of, of the Bible that the Pharisees are super familiar with because it's one of the five books that they teach on a regular basis. So, so they're actually going to quote Moses um, from Deuteronomy. And, and, and here's the deal. This is what you need to understand when they, when they quote Deuteronomy in a second. You need to understand why Jesus is quoting Moses. Because the Pharisees considered themselves to be sitting in the seat of Moses. They believed that their job was to be Moses to the people. 
It's what they believe their job to be. In fact, Jesus reveals this to us in Matthew 23, verse 1 and 2. It says, Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees, they sit in Moses' seat. I like other translations better. I think they reveal the truth. It actually, other translations say, they have seated themselves in Moses' seat. So, so think about this with me. Now, Jesus has just been up on the mountain with the real Moses. He's, he's just left the presence of the real Moses where he has actually talked to Moses, you know, the real guy. And he comes down off the mountain and now he is surrounded by, you know, the fake ones. And, 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 and the false Moseses who have sat themselves in Moses' seat and have proclaimed that they are God's people and they are God's mouthpiece and they are the ones now sat to, to not just proclaim and to teach the law of God, but also to make sure that people obey it. This is the seat they have placed themselves in. And they have caused this great ruckus, and Jesus looks at these people and rebukes them by quoting a book of the Bible that Moses himself penned. I wonder if they had the conversation on the mountain personally. And so, coming from Deuteronomy 32, and I'll just, I'll just read that to you, Deuteronomy 32.5, says they are corrupt and not his children. To their shame, they are warped and a crooked generation. They're warped and a crooked generation. Oh, unbelieving and perverse generation, right? Is what Jesus says. Jesus is referring to Deuteronomy 32.5. He says these people, you people, that have caused all this commotion, you're unbelieving, you're crooked, You're corrupt. And oh, by the way, to your shame, to your shame, you're proving yourself not really to be God's children. It's a strong, strong, strong rebuke. Saying judgment is coming. Now, now, Deuteronomy 32, by the way, uh, is penned. Moses is about to die. He's about to die. He's not going to get to enter the promised land, remember? So he's actually penning this. God says, "I I want you to teach them one last song. And this is this really sweet song, Deuteronomy 32.5. It's like, you're going to enter the promised land, do-da, do-da. You're going to worship false gods, do-da, do-da day. And then I'm going to punish you, punish you, punish you. Then, like, I mean, it's like, it is a terrible, like, begre- like it is a terrible song he teaches them. I mean, it, it is like, 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 judgment's coming upon your head, do-da, do-da day. Um, and so Moses teaches them this, this song right before he dies, And the song basically goes, um, you're perverse, you're crooked, you always turn from me, you know, speaking of God, you're going to worship false gods, and I'm going to judge you, judge you, judge you. Judgment's coming, judgment's coming, judgment's coming. That's the song. And so he says to the Pharisees, oh, by the way, judgment's coming, judgment's coming, judgment's coming. And Jesus says, it seems so out of character, how much longer will I put up with you? Now, guys, there's a truth in there for us, Right? Now, now, we know this, this, this fact from Scripture, 2 Peter 3.9, teaches us that God is, is very patient, right? 2 Peter 3.9 says, The Lord is not slow in keeping with His promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, He is patient. Get, get those two little words right there. He's patient with what? With who? With you. He's patient with us. He's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Why is He patient with us? Because He's chosen us to do his work, right? To be his mouthpiece, to go and to make disciples of all nations. 
God's very patient because he doesn't want anyone to perish. But you need to hear me very clearly. A day is coming when God's patience is going to end, where God will no longer put up with rebellion and rejection of Jesus Christ. The age of grace that we live under right now, it is going to end, my friends, and we need to start living like it. We need to start living like one day God's patience is going to end. We've got to start telling people about how much God loves them, about the fact that there is a God. And more and more and more in our world today, we we have Christians that are silent. We're silent about everything, aren't we? We're definitely not going to talk to anybody about Jesus, but we won't talk about racial injustice. We won't talk, uh, uh, I mean, we really, our, our nation is more divided by race right now than it's ever been. And Christians are, right? Where are you, church? Right? I mean, didn't, we, didn't this happen with, with Martin Luther King? Wasn't the church silent then too? Didn't it, didn't it take a great work of God to finally wake up some godly people and say, this isn't right? Right? So where, where are we? Right? Where, where are we? We're silent. We can't be silent because the end is coming. The end is coming. We've got to act like it, okay? So we've got to start there. Number two, I've got to get done. You guys are going to kick me out. Um, would you see this this morning? Disciples can't just marvel at the work of God. They must also listen to the word of God. They can't just marvel at the work of God. They also have to listen to the word of God. This is verse 43 and verse 44. It says, and they were all amazed at the greatness of God. It means they marveled. They were in awe. Why? Why? Because Jesus is going to do this, this great work. He just healed this boy. And they're like, oh. they're marveling. And in the midst of their marvel, Jesus says this to his disciples. He doesn't say it to the crowds, but he says it to his disciples. Ready? While everyone was marveling at all that Jesus did, he said to his disciples, listen carefully to what I am about to tell you. In the midst of the marveling, he's like, that's cool. I'm glad you're all in shock and awe. But you guys that follow me need to listen to my words. The Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of men. Listen to me. Now remember, he's been speaking this same message. In fact, in fact, Mark says here in, in this place, he actually says he's going to be betrayed into the hands of men. And, and Mark adds, they will kill him and in three days he will rise. Now it sounds familiar because that's the same message that Jesus just said before he went up on the mountain, right? When Peter says, you are the Christ, he explains to him what that, that means. I'm in Luke 9, uh, 22. He says, the son of man must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders and the chief priests, teachers of the law, and he must be killed and on the third day raised to life. Jesus is repeating the same message. What did God say to Peter, James, and John while he was up on the mountain of transfigure while they were up on the mountain of transfiguration? What did he say at the end? Voice from heaven comes and says, This is my son, right? It says, Listen to him. Listen to him what? Listen to what he's telling you about my plan. Listen to what he's telling you about my plan. Here's the truth, guys. Life is about to get really hard for the disciples. And it's not going to be enough for them to just marvel at the work of God when life gets hard. When life gets hard, they're going to have to know the will of God. When life gets hard, they're going to have to know that God said life will be hard. Does that sound familiar? Like, did Jesus ever say, I tell you in this world, you're going to have trouble? But take heart, I've overcome. And yet we, we have this great modern day American Christian theology that says if life is tough, then, then somehow I'm not blessed and I'm not following God. I, I think when life is tough, it's proof that I must be in the right spot. Right? 
And, and so, so here we are. And Jesus is saying, listen, you better know this stuff because life is going to get really hard. And when life gets really hard, you need one thing. Ready? You need to listen to me. You need to listen to me. Friends, when you're not up on the mountain, you need the word of God more than ever. When, when you're not having the, the ooey-gooey, warm ooey-gooey's about Jesus, when you're not, you know, I mean, you know what I'm talking about up on the mountain, those mountaintop moments where everything is, it just comes so easy to be obedient, right? It just comes so easy to walk in the spirit. I mean, those moments when you're on the mountain, it's like, oh, this is perfect. I want this to, I want to be this way forever. And yet, how do you, how are you actually transformed into the image of Christ? You're typically transformed more and more into the image of Christ when you're in the valley and you're relying on the word of God and you're choosing to be obedient in the face of difficulties. That's it. And so Jesus says, listen, my disciples, like, listen, it, it, it's, like, it, I, I, I love it that you're excited about the things I'm doing. That's awesome. I'm glad that you get caught up in me because, like, you know, I'm kind of a big deal. But you have to listen to me. You have to understand that it's not always going to be this good. There is a time that is coming that's going to be very difficult, and I want you to be aware of my will. I want you to be aware of my plans. I don't want you to be caught off guard, or else you're not going to make it. You're not going to make it, okay? And I see a lot of Christians in our world getting swallowed up because they've bought into some bad theology that when, when you know, God's good plan for them, Jeremiah twenty nine eleven is that they're going to have a bigger house and a nicer car and a perfect marriage and they're never going to fight and their kids are always going to obey. And so, so when their child, you know, tells them something that a child should never speak to a parent, they are like in shock and their world falls apart when their marriage isn't perfect and they actually have to put work into it, you know, like sit down and talk over arguments. Their whole world is ruined. They feel like God's not blessing them. Friends, if you're married and you're still working through it, God's blessing you. <laughs> right? God's blessing you as long as you have breath in your lungs. And so, so I, I, just, I, I want you to understand, disciples can't just um, marvel at the work of God. They've, they've got to listen to his word. And we'll talk more about that um, in a second, okay? Uh, number three. Number three, I want you to understand. This is, and this is the heart of, of this little section, by the way. So if you just walked away with one um, thing that you understood today. I really want you to get them all, but this is really the heart of why Luke writes this section, and it's this. I want you to know that we should never be afraid to ask Jesus for wisdom or understanding. We should never be afraid to ask Jesus for wisdom or understanding. Verse 45, it says, but they didn't understand what this meant. It was hidden from them, uh, so they didn't grasp it, and they were afraid to ask him about it. Right? And again, so, so we're going to pull from Mark, but we're not going to preach Mark. I wish I could preach Mark. I really like Mark's version of this story a lot better. Right? Because it's got all these really cool details. I mean, I mean, come on. I mean, Mark is the detail guy for once. And, 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 and man, Mark's stuff will preach, right? I mean, I mean, a father, he comes to Jesus, and he says, if you can heal my son. And I love that interaction. Jesus is like, if, if, right? If I can heal your son, who do you, like, come on, man. Just believe. And the guy's like, I believe, but I don't really believe. You know, he's like, increase my disbelief. That's awesome. That should be like every person's prayer, right? I mean, that'll, that'll preach. That'll preach. But that's not our text. It's not our text today. So why doesn't Luke include any of that stuff? Why doesn't he include all the details that Mark includes? I'll tell you why. Because he's trying to make a point. 
And if you include all the details of Mark, then, then you're going to miss what Luke is trying to emphasize. And what Luke is trying to emphasize is, is the disciples not just misunderstanding, but their fear to ask for further wisdom and understanding. Okay? That's, Luke is inspired by the Holy Spirit to focus on their fear to ask for further wisdom and, and understanding. So again, verse 45. But they didn't understand what this meant. It was hidden from them so that they didn't grasp it. And they were afraid to ask him about it. So Jesus tells them the plan again. Okay? He's already told them the plan. Like the Son of Man is going to be handed over. He's going to be killed. On the third day, he's going to rise again. So Jesus tells them the plan of God. He's like, I want you to be ready. Okay? So like, don't just marvel. Listen to what I say. Here's my plan. Okay? This is how it's going to go down. Be prepared. Okay, life's going to get difficult. You need to listen to my words. Okay, so he's getting them prepared for the plan because the plan's about to be in place. I mean, they're heading towards Jerusalem. The cross is coming. Okay, and Jesus is getting them ready for the cross for that moment that they're going to be left alone and and they're going to have to figure all this stuff out. So he's preparing them for all this. He, He even says, like, listen to me first, right? They don't understand what he says. And get this, they don't ask. They don't understand what he says, and they don't ask. Now, as a parent, this is the thing that drives me nuts, right? When it comes to school, I don't care if my kids get everything that's taught, right? I mean, if their teacher stands up and explains something in a way that they don't understand, that's okay, because I was that kid a lot. But what I do expect from them all the time is if you don't understand, raise your hand for crying out loud. Like, they should never come back and say, I got a 10 on an assignment because I didn't get it. Because my response is, well, if you didn't get it, why didn't you ask, Right? There's, there's never an excuse for, for being unwilling, being afraid to ask. Well, well, what if other kids laugh at me? Who cares? Let them laugh, right? It, it, you're in third grade for crying out loud. You've got to go be somebody someday. Like, go ahead, let them laugh now, right? I mean, we've got to put in the work. And so, so, I mean, there's never... So if they come to me and, and they don't understand something, that's fine. But ask. But ask. And, and the disciples are here and, and they don't understand. Now, the text is a little strange. It says it was hidden from them. And, and, and here's the deal. There's all kinds of scholarly debate over what that means. It says it was, it was hidden from them um, uh, so that they did not grasp it. And, and there's basically two camps here because we all have our own thoughts about God. We call that theology. Um, and and so, so there's one camp that says, well, God hid it from them and there was a purpose for it. Therefore, they were never supposed to understand it at all. Okay? That's bad theology, by the way. And then the other camp is, well, it was just hidden from them because they were dumb and they were stupid and and there's no way that they could grasp it. That's bad theology too because Luke says, regardless of either camp you think or way you think about God, they should have asked Jesus. That's the point that he's making. And and I'll I'll show you, right? So if it was on them and they didn't know, again, back to my kids, you, you should always ask. If you don't know, you should never be afraid to ask because the point is, like at some point you're going to be held accountable for the knowledge, right? At some point, you've got, to, you've got to take the test, right? You guys understand me? Okay, so at some point, you're going to have to take the test. Jesus is saying a test is coming for you. Life is coming. And, and, and you're going to have to know this stuff. So you, you, you better ask. And Luke is kind of pointing that out. Now, now if the people in the other camp that say, well, it was from God. God is the one that hid this from their knowledge. Now, let me ask you this. Why would God do that? Why would God hide it from their knowledge? One, because God just said, listen to him, right? Just said it. I mean, said it like, you better listen to him. And then Jesus says, who's God, says, listen to me. Um, but but, but if, if it is God that hides it from them, I, I'm going to submit to you that God does that for a reason too. And the reason he hides it from them is, get this, so they will ask. <laughs> he hides it from them so they will go closer to him, so that they will draw to him. Like, you guys, believe it or not, God actually wants you to pray. Can you imagine that? 
God actually wants to talk to you because you're his children and he loves you. He actually wants you to talk to him. It's crazy, but he does. And so his desire, even if, if it's him that's hiding it on purpose, his desire is that they would, they, would, they would draw into him, that they would ask of him, that he could teach them, okay? That, that he could show them. And that's Luke's point here. His point to Theophilus, the guy that he's writing to, you know, so that this guy will be certain of, of, that what he's heard is true. His point is, Theophilus, you should never be afraid to ask. You should never be afraid to ask for further understanding. Ever, 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 ever. Okay. So, let me give you some application. We'll wrap up. <clears throat> Number one, as we try to apply this text, I, I, I would just say this super easy. Just get ready. We need to get ready. Okay, for, first of all, personally, right? And, and you say, what are we getting ready for? We're getting ready for the fact that God's patience is going to end. I think, you, I, I don't know about you, I want to be ready for that, Right? Have you read the book of Revelation? Anybody read something about seven bowls of wrath? That's not, I, I don't, like, that's not my favorite text, right? I'm not thinking, whoa, that sounds awesome. That's like Hawaii. No, no, not cool. God's patience is going to end, and he's no longer going to put up with man's rebellion of Jesus, uh, man's rejection of Jesus. He's not going to do it. So, so one, personally, we better be ready, right? There's only one way you can be ready, okay? That's to have Jesus cover you. That's it, okay? Because God is holy, he's perfect, he's righteous, nobody can be in his presence that's not. Jesus is the only one that meets that criteria that's perfect. Jesus is the only one. And so Jesus actually came and died on a cross, the Bible teaches, to die in our place to pay for our sins. And it says, for whosoever believes in him won't perish, but they're going to have eternal life. They're going to live with God because Jesus, get this, his perfect life, get this, ready, is going to cover their sinful life. And when God looks at them, he's going to see perfection. He's going to see righteousness. So, so first and foremost, I would just say to you, you need to be ready. And, and, and if you've never asked Jesus to forgive you, to take over your life, to do those kind of things, that's going to happen one day, believe it or not, all mankind, the Bible says every knee will bow. Everybody will stand before God at one point and give account of their life. And you will either try to stand up as a sinner before a holy God and say, you should let me in because I was a good person, and he'll point out every flaw you've ever had. Every one. I don't know about you, but I, you know, I've already, I've like 39, almost 40, I've, I've got a whole tally, right? I don't even want to, I don't even want to remember last week, right? He's going to, he'll just, all these things. So, oh, you're good enough. Uh-huh, 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 uh-huh. Or we can stand before God, okay? And we can be covered by Jesus' perfection. That's it. And all he can do is point to the perfect life of his son who died in our place. And we stand before him saying, we believed. And he'll say, yeah, you're my child. Come be with me, right? And we say, yeah, thank you, Jesus. Amen? That's why people worship in heaven, by the way. That's why people still sing. Thank you, Jesus. Okay? So, one, personally, if you've never done that, you you need to do that. You say, how do I do that? It's pretty easy. Jesus, save me. I mean, it's not a complicated prayer. (laughs) Save me. Take over my life. Like, it's, it's really easy. You don't have to, it doesn't have to be more complicated than that. But, but, but two, we can't just be personally ready, okay? We have to help others get ready too. This is God's purpose for our life. We are now ministers of reconciliation. You say, what is my purpose? Your purpose is to help other people know that there is a God. That's your purpose. See, in life, we all rub off on one another. And you either get to have a positive influence or a negative influence. We talked about this last night. We're talking about my dad's funeral. And uh, I was cheering with my, my, my sister, uh, 
in-law. And uh, I was just saying, you know, my dad's life, it wasn't all good, right? There's negative too, but God used the negative for my good. Um, Looking now, I mean, I can can say how even the bad stuff has made me who I am. Uh, Listen, in life, you're going to have a bad influence or a good influence. And our call is to really be people, bearers of light, that have a good influence. And that part of that good influence is telling people about God. Okay, just letting them know there is a God. And you say, listen, I'm not an evangelist. That's okay. But you have a story to tell. So what's your story? How has God changed your life? That's all you have to say. Man, I love God. Look at what God's done for me. Cool, great testimony, Chris, right? Chris does it all the time. Man, I love God. God's just blessing me, right? So how, how's he blessing you? I mean, talk, talk about it. He, he's blessing us in the midst of what we're going through. God, we know that God's present. We know that God's with us, right? And so, so we, this is our job, is to go to a world and to tell them what we know about God. And you say, I don't know that much. That's okay. Tell them what you know. That'll be enough in that instance. That'll be enough to, to, to expand a curiosity in somebody's heart or in somebody's mind. And this is God's will for you. This is God's plan, is that you be his message bearers, okay? And I know that don't shrink back from it, uh, but that's his plan. And so you, you say, well, where do I start? I don't know. I'd start where you are. The, the Bible actually says, as you are going, make disciples. So where, where do you go, right? So you start in your home. And you've got neighbors around your home, and then you've got a workplace, you've got an environment, and then maybe your kids do soccer, or you're involved in some kind of, some kind of club, or, or you, know, you, you go fishing, and you've got fishing buddies. That's going to be your circle. Wherever you are, you be a light bearer for Jesus wherever you are. Okay? Help people get ready. That's your job. Okay? So two, I think the text calls us, just, um, especially as his, as his disciples. So if you're here and you are a follower of Christ, this is what you actually have to do. You have to listen to Jesus. I know that sounds crazy, right? To listen to Jesus, but that's really the heart of this thing called discipleship, is that we would listen to Jesus. We can't just marvel at his works. And you say, what do you mean? Well, I mean, let's be honest. I mean, a lot of us like that, right? And we like to marvel at, who, who takes pictures of sunsets? Anybody? Take a picture of a sunset, like, oh, it's so beautiful, right? Like, I, I know, Pam, beautiful pictures of sunsets and a cow there. Like, I love a sunset. That's great, right? You go outside, anybody catch themselves being like a little kid and every once in a while on a clear night, you go outside and you just look up and you're like, Anybody? Like, I still do that. I still walk outside. I'm like, oh, my little daughter for like, I don't know, it was months. She had to go out and say goodnight to the moon. Because we read goodnight moon, and she's like, I need to go say goodnight to the moon. And we would have to go out every night and look for the moon. But there it is. Goodnight, moon. I love you. And we go back inside. There's a time and place, right? I I love nature. My my dad's funeral, that's what um, everybody that got up talked about how he loved to hunt and fish. Like, I mean, just, I mean, he just loved being outdoors. Um, he, even cutting the grass, which I was like, he really enjoyed it, which drives me crazy because I was like, oh, I endure it. I don't really enjoy it. But he enjoyed it. Cut the grass, wash his truck. He would do those things. He loved being outdoors. Um, some of us marvel at our kids, don't we? Because they're great works of God. And we see all their cuteness. And we, now, there are times they also were like, oh, but we take tons of pictures, right? All the little moments because they're, they're God's gift, right? We, we, and, and, and you that are grandparents, right? You marvel at it. You look and go, how could God create somebody so amazing? Grandparents are really that way. Oh, they're so perfect. I'm going to spoil them rotten and mess them up and send them back to you. And you get to start all over. Because that's what my parents did to me. Uh, and so, so we, you know, we, we, we marvel at the work of God. We, 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 we think about our kids, and we think about, you know, um, some people are that way with, with pets, man. My dad, he loved pets, and, and maybe you're in that same way. Just, you just love hanging out. We got a little puppy right now that just, she's so cute, and she's so floppy, and doesn't know how to run all the time, and gets excited and falls over, and she still has puppy breath, right? That's going to change. Yeah. You know what she's going to eat someday? She's going to put in her mouth, and then she's going to try to lick me on the mouth. Uh-huh. Yeah. God made those creatures flexible. Rethink. 
kissing you on the mouth. For some of us, it's church. Or at least half a church. Because what we really love is that time of singing, that time of music. Man, we marvel at it. Sometimes we marvel at the people that have the talents and abilities that we don't have. Sometimes we just marvel at the, the spirit of God that's moving. And listen, I, I want to be honest. God doesn't rebuke you in marveling at him ever. All right? Have you read through the Psalms? David marvels at the work of God constantly. It's okay to marvel at the work of God. In fact, I, I think that's called worship. I think it's pretty important. But hear me. Jesus says, oh, disciples, you can't just marvel. I also need you to listen. Because if you don't listen, there'll come a day that you no longer find yourself on the mountain. There'll come a day when life gets really tough and you are going to be ill-equipped because you never expected it. Because you never understood that life is hard. But that God is there in the midst of your struggle. That Jesus is Emmanuel, which is God with us. It's not us out of everything. It's God with us in the midst of all that we face. That's the glory of the gospel, my friends. That is the glory of the gospel. Not that God removes us from all hurt and all harm, but that God himself walks with us in the midst of all hurt and all harm. That's what makes the gospel impressive to me. Listen to Jesus. He is the word of God. He's the ultimate fulfillment of all of the Old Testament. All the New Testament should be interpreted through him. How many, how many people really like to read the epistles? If you read your Bible, you like to read the letters of Paul. Come on, anybody. Come on, it's okay, Calvinist. No, I'm joking. You're not necessarily Calvinist. I'm messing with you. Um, so, some, of my, some of my friends, uh, just, I mean, here, here's the deal. A lot of us, we really like the um, epistles because they tell you what to do. They're pretty straightforward. Do this, do this, do this, do this. They really make awesome modern-day Pharisees. Uh, I know so many people that elevate them over the words of Jesus when they're meant to be interpreted through the words of Jesus. Come on, how many of you end timers? Revelation is your favorite book. You talk about it all the time. You've done, oh, yeah, you're not going to raise your hand in this group because people are going to look at you like you're wackadoo, right? Okay, so, um, right, but and so many people, like, we study the book of Revelation. Like, we're, we're trying to figure out the day and the hour. When Jesus says, you, the day and the hour are unknown. Like, I don't even know when that's happening. What's going to happen? 2017, January 17th, right? Get it all figured out. Don't, ev- don't, don't elevate the book of Revelation, which was a glimpse of God's glory over Jesus, who is the full image of God's glory ever, ever, Right? And so, so we have to listen to Jesus. I think it's really important. Um, I, 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 I just, I love, I read the epistles. We're teaching the, the church in Uganda, the pastors in Uganda. We're actually teaching them the epistles. Do you know how we're teaching them to interpret the epistles? Through the gospels. Through the words of Jesus. Okay. Uh, number three, and we're done. Always ask. Walk away with that. Always ask. There is nothing too big and there's nothing too small to ask God for further understanding, for further wisdom. Uh, and and, and, and now he, here's the deal. Now, some would say, uh, God's big enough for all of my questions. I, I, I want to I challenge that a little bit, okay? 
So, so I know God is big enough for all of your questions. But I, I want to tell you there are certain things that I will never question God on, and um, those things have to do with his character. I don't question God on his character because God is God and he's unchanging, right? And so if you read the book of Job, those people that say, God's big enough for all my questions, some of those people, the questions they ask are questioning God's nature and God's character. God doesn't always respond very well to that. And so my response to them is, yes, God's big enough for your questions, but you're probably not big enough for his answers, okay? And so, because uh, when Job gets a little off the rails, he doesn't ask God for further wisdom or understanding. He actually questions, calls into questions God's character. And so uh, God responds to Job, okay, Job, gird up your loins, oh man, for I'm about to speak to you. Uh, it means like a loincloth and you kind of check. He's like, check yourself, Job, and make sure you're a man because the God of the universe is about to speak to you. Now, I don't ever want God to ask me to check myself to make sure that I'm a man, okay? Just not high on my list of things I want to do eventually. So, so when I say no question is too big, no question is too small, I really do mean that, but I mean that in response or in respect to questions about God's plan, questions, things like that, not questioning of his character, okay? And, and, and so uh, I, I want to... I wanna, call you to ask for wisdom and understanding um, in, in almost anything, right? Because he promises that he's going to provide it. So I'll give you an example of little stuff. I pray one prayer um, whew, a lot. It, it's probably at the top of my prayer list. Um, God, please grant me wisdom and help me find blah, blah, blah. I have like a million children, right? And so in our house, trying to get out the door, I can't find my shoe, I can't find a sock, I can't find underwear. Like, how do you know how to find underwear? What do you do with it? And so it's like, we got to go to school. You're going to be late. And I just, on a regular basis, after the kids have looked everywhere, I'll walk in and I'll stop for a second. I'll just bow and pray and say, God, um, I, just, I just need wisdom to understand. Would you help me see, you know, wherever this thing is? I, I did it yesterday for a crock for a swim party that happened at the last minute. Sure enough, I'll walk, I, I'm, I'm looking in the trunk, I go, ah. I think I threw that in the garage over blah, blah, blah. Like, why do you not? I walk over there, oh, here. And Connor's like, where did you find that? I said, I prayed about it, dude. I've told you this before. Just pray about it. Pray about the little things. Do you know what I prayed about this week? I spent a lot of time in prayer Tuesday with the text. Uh, last week um, was a tough week being Father's Day. And my dad had just passed. And, and, and God was so faithful. The text was just there. It was so easy. And I went in this week and was like, yeah, let's do that again. And I opened the text and I was like, oh, my gosh. There are just some weeks as a pastor, you open the text and you're like, okay, battle's coming. Like, we're, we, this is going to be a fight this week to get into the text and to figure out what the Lord is saying. And it was a fight all week long. And so all week, I'm just praying, God, grant me wisdom. God, show me what the main ideas of this text are. God, show me why, why Luke is so different than Mark, Lord, right? Show me those things. When life gets tough, even when we lose somebody, God, show me just a glimpse of what you're doing. Remind me of your goodness. Right? Because I know, again, I don't question his character. God is good all the time. If there was a better way for God to accomplish what he wants to accomplish in me, he'd be doing that better way. So because I know that God is good, then it just leaves me asking, okay, Lord, grant me wisdom to see what you want to produce in me. God, show me your love. Right? Show me what you want to do. And so I, I just want to challenge you guys. There's nothing in this life too big or too small for you to stop and ask God for wisdom and for understanding. Don't be one of those Christians that shrinks back or thinks, well, this is insignificant to God or this is a stupid question to ask. Or No, ask. If you don't understand, the point of Luke in this passage this morning is ask and God will be given. Jesus says, you do not have because you do not ask. You do not have because you do not ask, right? He says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock 
and the doors will be open. Ask God, okay? Pray with me this morning. Father, thank you for loving us. Um, God, we, uh, we appreciate you. We appreciate your word. We appreciate all that you're doing. Yeah. Uh, God, I, I just, I pray this very simple prayer over my friends this morning. I pray that you would reveal to them in their heart of hearts and the depths of who they are what you would have them take away from this message today. Just that very simple prayer, we pray it here a lot. God, how are you speaking to me? Lord, would you just reveal to them in this very moment, right here as we sit, exactly how you're speaking to them. Please, Jesus, ask that in your holy, powerful, and precious name.